KUOZ 100.5 is an FCC-licensed radio station operated by the University of the Ozarks, Clarksville, Arkansas. Hello, and thank you for tuning in. You are listening to From the Concert Hall, your source for classical music here on KUOZ 100.5 FM, your hometown radio station from the University of the Ozarks here in Clarksville, Arkansas. Now please sit back, relax, and enjoy, as we have the privilege of taking you back in time for this next hour, right here in our very own little concert hall. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to From the Concert Hall. I'm Corbin Sturch. And I'm Annika Wilcox. And tonight we're going to continue what has been a part of our Breaking Down the Orchestra. I was trying to remember what I called it exactly. But our Breaking Down the Orchestra series, as we really break down the orchestra tonight, looking at some really unique instruments that have been used in orchestration. We're going to look at typewriters, prepared pianos. Cannons. Hey, you beat me to the punchline. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just so excited. <laughs> it, it is an exciting thing, and actually, cannons are up first tonight. <laughs> Yay, good. But before we get to that, you actually have a bit of local news for us, don't you? I do, straight from Clarksville, Arkansas. On Tuesday, March 29th, the Clarksville Lions Club will host an all-you-can-eat pancake breakfast at the First United Methodist Church. The pancake breakfast starts at 6.30 a.m. and end, ends at 12.30 p.m. If you pay in advance... The cost is $5 per person and $3 for children 12 and under. If you pay on March 29th, the price at the door will be $5.50 per person and $3.50 for children 12 and under. If you cannot make it to First Methodist Church in Clarksville, the Clarksville Lions Club are offering deliveries on five or more orders only. So get your tickets for the all-you-can-eat pancake breakfast as soon as possible. Like we said last week, folks, this is kind of an event that comes around all the time, like every what I would call each season here in Clarksville. It's worth going out to. It's one of those things you go once and you just you want to keep going. <laughs> Especially when you're in college, no time is a bad time for pancakes. That's right. I mean, it's a good home-cooked meal served by really friendly people. It really is something worth going out to. Chances are you'll see both of us there, possibly even our other co-host, Jeremy Jacobs, we love pancakes. We make it a point to go out to these events that happen in the community. Now, we said earlier we're going to be breaking down the orchestra and looking at some odd instruments. And Annika let the cat out of the bag talking about cannons. So, Annika, whenever I think of orchestra, orchestral instruments and I think of typical things you would see in the orchestra or the concert master would put on stage... I don't think of cannons. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, um, no matter what kind of music you listen to, you always hear um, funny things in percussion. So when people ask me about, you know, different orchestral oddities, I, d- I don't think cannons. I think uh, 
I think smaller things like wind chimes or something much more in the norm. So this is like super exciting. So when you ask people, how do you feel about classical music? And they, they maybe they say something cliche like, oh, it's boring. But you can say, are you kidding me? Orchestra has cannons. It doesn't get less boring than that. <laughs> exactly. But one thing about this piece, it doesn't just use cannons. It uses a whole barrage Yes, I said barrage of cannons. Actually, I think it uses up to six different cannons firing at one point. But the piece also uses church bells. So whenever this piece is performed, typically you bring in either several sets of like chimes, orchestral chimes, or you actually bring in like a mobile carillon or perform it like outside in the open. <laughs> I watched a performance of this piece once, and to simulate cannons, what they did was they were shooting a shotgun blanks into a trash can, <laughs> a metal trash can. On stage? Yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, I mean, they're blanks. <laughs> Still, like, I know if I was a member, like, the audience and someone had a, a shotgun filled with blanks shooting into a trash can on stage, and I think that would be such an individual thing to see in a concert. It really would. Other ways I've seen this done. Um, one of the best performances I've seen, uh, the Japanese military did a rendition of this with their Army Corps Orchestra. And they actually bought out, brought out seven artillery cannons and lined them up on an airfield. And this was performed on an airfield, and it was just like the most well-orchestrated cannon firing you've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> like, didn't miss a beat. It doesn't shock me at all. I, uh, As you know, I just got back from a month's stay in Japan, and they have the classical music is so strong there, so it's so different from America because you can go just about anywhere and hear classical music, and it's, it's quite lovely. That's right. So now we're about to hear cannons, and we're going to hear some other interesting things tonight that we don't want to completely give away yet. But, Annika, what are some other orchestral oddities you might would think of? Like, personally, I'm thinking of, like, the conch shell. The conch shell. Yes. That Can you elaborate? Yes. So, you know, everyone sees those older movies or, like, thinks back to biblical times where people, like, blow through the ram's horn or blow in, like, a conch shell, which is this big seashell. It's spiral, and it's really loud. Um, but I've actually been in some orchestras where they've used those, and it's really kind of interesting because they get, like, a trumpet player to play them, and it's... It's so funny to watch them go through this process of having to learn how to play the conch shell. <laughs> um, I think one really common one for me would be a glasses. When I was in concert band in high school, we did a lot of things that were really interesting things with them, like empty bottles. Mm -hmm. And it was absolutely beautiful. I was so shocked that such beautiful noises could come from empty soda bottles. So are you talking like blowing across them or like hitting them? Or? Um, Both. Of course, like it's easy to l manipulate the sound of bottles, right, like right. Whether, whether it's the the deepness of your breath or whether it's how full of a liquid they are. So there's just a lot you can do with them. I feel like that's a reason they're so popular. Another one, and you know, this is actually a really cool instrument I see sometimes. Crystal, like crystal glasses. Uh, I forget what exactly kind of glass it's called, but it's almost like a wine glass. But if it's made of crystal, you can tune it and etch it just right so that you can have this whole like keyboard of glasses and you just wet your fingers and 
circle around the rim. It's really kind of cool. I have a Tibetan monk spell that works kind of similarly, where instead of hitting it, you take this wooden stick and you circle the outside of the bell, and it makes this wonderful, like, overtone. It's really quite beautiful and relaxing. Um, yeah, actually, in AP Music Theory in high school, I got to do something very similar to that. So it's it's super fun, and it's easy to do at home. So if, you, uh, if you're bored or if you have children and you're trying to get them into orchestra, it's it's pretty, it's a nice little at-home experiment. It's super easy, super cheap. So uh, I definitely recommend that to anybody out there listening, has no plans tonight and wants to play around the house. Right, take some old soda bottles or if you have them and your parents will let you, you know, <laughs> crystal. <laughs> but, you know, of course, listen to your parents on that one. But another one, and this, I consider this an orchestral oddity just because to me, it's one of those instruments that I have a hard time considering truly an instrument, the kazoo. <laughs> um, I, I don't know why, but I have a hard time like grasping the concept of the kazoo. Like I can, I can play kazoo. I can play kazoo okay, actually. Not great, but it's oh. one of those weird instruments. <laughs> well, then you have to ask yourself, um, like, what does it even take to be considered an instrument? Because technically, just about anything in the world could be an instrument. So I definitely agree with what you're saying. It's a, it's one of those things we more consider for like silly children than actual like orchestral music. I guess if you can find a good way to tie it into some really pretty music, you could probably do some awesome stuff with it. But I, I definitely get where you're coming from. Exactly. And I like what you're saying there. What do we consider an instrument? Because we touched on that last show where, I mean, you really do have to ask yourself, especially with modern composers, what is and what isn't an instrument? And I think the answer to that really is anything is an instrument if you let it be. Singers like to always joke that their voice is their instrument, and really it's, it's, there's absolutely truth in that. John Cage wrote this wonderful piece, <laughs> wonderful piece, called The 4-Minute and 33-Second Symphony, where the performer, for any instrument, would go out, set up, and sit and count down 4 minutes and 23 seconds of silence. And the music was any noise that was made by the audience or anything around. And so it really plays off of anything can be an instrument. Uh, yeah, and um, I'm sure everybody has seen at some point the uh, some kind of breakdown video. They're actually really, really popular and they're very similar to what you're talking about where people take um, a popular video or song and they break it down and turn it into this cool dubstep kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So I feel like that's about the same concept, just just more uh, more common now. I think I know what you're talking about, where instead of instruments at all, it's all person. Like, people make, people take the place of all the instruments. Well, yeah, there's that. It's just like people take very common, um, popular, trending, like, videos, and they just take background noises, and uh, you can you could easily look it up. It's just background noises and uh, popular videos, and they turn it into dubstep. It's really, it takes a lot of talent. I've seen someone do it on an airplane, and they had a... A person coughing and a person sneezing and the the pilot's voice and the flicking on and off of the I know the you they use it for on. commercials now. Do they really? Yes. Wow. Yes. I think so he had the right idea when he right. when he originally got on stage and sat in the silence. Right. Uh, Kit Kat commercials use it, like breaking Kit Kat, chewing. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. It, and I mean, 
that really plays into the thought that anything can be an instrument. And music can be, music has so many forms, it truly is not limited to any one one musical style or form. You know, I hate to use form in a def. I hate to use the word in the definition there, but I think the best way to answer that really is to go about saying that anything can be an instrument. So when we're saying orchestral oddities, are they really oddities? Or is that just playing off of the stereotype? Uh, could you, like, elaborate on that question? Absolutely. So what I'm wondering is, if we can consider anything instruments... Do we maybe set up a stereotype that is the orchestra and that's all the orchestra is? So whenever we have these ambient noises or other things come in, they are instruments too? Or how would you say that works? Um, I definitely say we have stereotypes of what an instrument is and what an instrument isn't. But um, your whole life, you kind of turn things into instruments. You know, like you're tapping your hands in class, you're tapping your pen in class. So I think... Um, you remember last week we, we compared the uh, the orchestra to one large organism. So I think that once something else enters into the uh, the orchestra, becomes part of the orchestra. So personally, I consider it an instrument if it's going towards the common goal of the orchestra and making a beautiful sound in perfect in harmony. As long as it's harmonizing, I definitely consider it part of the orchestra. Right, and you know. People can tune these things. People can tune a cannon. (laughs) 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 You know, that's really fine to think of, but really you can. It's all in barrel length and how much gunpowder, right? Right. And I mean, like, I guess in a way, like, going back to the whole, like, tapping your pen on the desk thing, you can just about tune anything uh, depending on where you hit the pen is depending on the tone you're going to receive back. So, uh, yeah, there's definitely that to consider when you're thinking about what's considered an instrument and what is not, especially in that of the orchestra. Exactly. You know, we've been talking about cannons and gunfire and all of this. I think it's only fair I should give a bit of backstory to the 1812 Overture, which is what we're about to listen to, and it's a piece by Tchaikovsky. It's actually one of my favorite orchestral pieces ever. I know that's it's a bit maybe that's just a bit too personal of a No, of no, a I consent, I love it when I'm when I'm listening to people on the radio, especially when I'm listening to classical music stations, I uh, I really like to hear what people's favorite things are because I feel like when you're listening to orchestra, you really you learn something about that person when you hear what their favorite pieces of art are. Right. Well, <laughs> to start this note, to start this on an interesting note, Tchaikovsky himself said of this piece, it will be very loud and noisy, and I've written it without affection or enthusiasm. <laughs> Therefore, it will be no artistic merit to it. <laughs> so, Tchaikovsky wrote this piece and didn't really even like it. He's like, I threw it together. I <laughs> And of course, we don't know him personally, but um, listening to all his music, you know, I'm sure you and I both have performed several of his pieces over the years, and it it just sounds like something I could imagine him saying if if I would have known him personally. So, <laughs> it's kind of um, it's kind of humorous if you go back and you listen to his other pieces, hearing him say that about a piece will probably make you giggle a little bit. <laughs> right. Seldom has an artist spoken so ill of his own work, <laughs> but. At the same time, he demonstrated that as a thoroughly professional musician, he could deliver what was needed for a special occasion. 
Despite his own harsh words, he produced what is perhaps the most famous piece of the orchestral repertory. But kind of some more backstory behind this piece. The idea of the work came from Nikolai Rubinstein, musician, teacher, and founder of the Russian Musical Society in Moscow. So this all started in 1880 and it was first performed in 1882 at the Moscow Exhibition of Industrial Arts, which coincided with the consecration of the Cathedral of Christ. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, the Cathedral of Christ the Redeemer. <laughs> I missed two words there. So despite Tchaikovsky's opinion of the piece, it has endured the classical repertoire and probably one of the most often performed works in a concert hall. <laughs> That's why they're coming up with so many new ways to <laughs> simulate cannon fire here. <laughs> Yeah, he set the bar for canons and classical music. Exactly. (laughs) But the overture is a musical portrayal of Napoleon's doomed invasion of Russia and the Battle of Fordido on the road to Moscow. Uh, Napoleon won this battle, but at a terrible cost to both sides, and he ended up marching on to Moscow. But he was soon forced to retreat again, and the cruel Russian winter destroyed what remained of his army in that battle. So... The music is based on several themes, either traditional Russian melodies or ones directly related to events. The work opens quietly and solemnly on the strings with a tune of the patriotic Russian hymn, God Preserve Thy People. The music then moves up steadily through its gears as Napoleon's army approaches which snatch, uh, I'm sorry, with snatches of new French revolutionary anthem, I'm... Mm, How's your French? <laughs> uh, um, my Latin's good. My Greek is good. My French, not so much. I, my French is not the best Let either. My Latin and my Greek are good, but um, uh, the law. Oh gosh. <laughs> yes, it's a very long French word. La Marseillaise. I. That's that's what I was getting out of it. Mm, yeah. That. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's about right. <laughs> I, I always hate to say things wrong on the radio, <laughs> but French is a hard language. Well, it sounds, it's a lot better, you know, if you're at home listening right now and you're you're making fun of us, just try to say it in a really thick French accent. <laughs> That'll make you feel better. <laughs> That'll make us feel better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the thunder of the battle develops to a climax, and finally, there's a victorious pealing of bells with the melody of the old Russian national anthem bringing the overture to a, a triumphant conclusion. And when it's performed by an over, by a large orchestra, it's overwhelming. It, like, literally is overwhelming because there's so much volume and so much happening with everything around you. So it starts out, you know, quietly. It builds up. And what I was getting out of that description is we're seeing bits of the light motifs here where we have different bits of music or different melodies made to symbolize what's happening in the music or symbolize different characters or events. So, playing off last week again, light motifs, John Williams. Eh? Oh, gosh, John John Williams. I just love his music so much. So. I mean, we must remember that light motifs started in this this area of the world. Yeah, and I don't know, in a way I feel like they were, they were very similar in their art because they have a lot of major differences, but they also, um, in their own way, set the bar for different different parts of classical music. Right. But I love this piece. You love this piece. Let's find out if our fans love this piece. So we're going to begin playing the 1812 Festival Overture in E-flat by Tchaikovsky. But while it's playing, feel free to Facebook us your thoughts over the piece. 
post on our page at facebook.com forward slash from the concert hall and tell us what you think of this piece by Tchaikovsky. We'd love to hear from you. So here it is, the 1812 Overture by Tchaikovsky. Enjoy.
KUOZ 100.5 is an FCC-licensed radio station operated by the University of the Ozarks, Clarksville, Arkansas.
Thank you for tuning in. You are listening to From the Concert Hall here on KUOZ 100.5 FM, community radio from University of the Ozarks here in Clarksville, Arkansas. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to From the Concert Hall. I'm your host tonight, Corbin Sturch. And I'm your co-host, Annika Wilcox. I hope everyone enjoyed our 1812 Festival Overture in E-flat major. I know I enjoyed it. Annika, it looked like you enjoyed it as well. Oh, yeah. That's uh, that's super fun to conduct and uh, dance around to. <laughs> see, what people don't see, because this is radio and not television, thank goodness, is that a lot of time during these pieces, we're sitting in here conducting or mouthing along or playing along with the music. We, I mean... The people who do this show are musicians, and it shows whenever the music plays. <laughs> yeah, it's a. Uh, I'm kind of glad I was actually joking with DJ this morning about how uh, how I'm glad that no one can see us when we film this show because the things we do are just they're so humorous. We uh we dance around and we you can just tell that we really enjoy the music that we're listening to, and I think that especially shows with this piece. Indeed, I think it shows with a lot of our bigger orchestral pieces. You know, there's a lot of times where we do these big pieces, and I mean, (laughs) if people walk by and look in the window, they definitely see us emoting somehow to the music. Yeah, (laughs) that's that's a definite, yeah, (laughs) for sure. I would hate to know, like, what someone, how someone would look at me if they they walked by the window when those cannons went off. I was like, I was so into it. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, I love... I love this kind of music. I love music that really like gets you in the moment and really gets you going. To me, that's the type of music I love the best. I don't know about you, Annika, but that, that's what gets me. Either that or really, really soft, soft, slow music that just really tugs at your heartstrings. Absolutely. Like, um, I feel like I can... Music you feel like you can relate to. Um, slow music being more more spiritual because I know even during the slow parts of that song I uh you can just close your eyes and it's so nice to relax too and then you have this lovely like well-oriented crescendo and it's just it's so interesting seeing how what your mind depicts when you're listening to classical music especially this piece exactly so next up we have a piece called typewriter and it's (laughs) it's a piece by Lever Anderson and it's aptly named Oh, yes. You know, we're going back to that bit earlier where anything can be an instrument. That seems to always happen in percussion. <laughs> um, yeah, actually, I mentioned that earlier about how uh, I always think of just smaller things in percussion when you ask me about um, orchestral oddities. So, uh, yeah, most people just think about, you know, well, what does the per- percussion section do? Uh, and it's, it's a lot different with percussion because <laughs> chairs... Uh, chairs when you're uh, in percussion is so much different than chairs when you're in any part of the or- other any other part of the orchestra uh, because there's no telling what you'll end up playing. Exactly. Well, now here's a question I posed for this. This piece, the actually the the spotlight of the piece, the soloist in the piece is a typewriter. So, is it a percussion instrument or a keyboard instrument? Um. I think that depends on who's playing it. Uh, I definitely consider it just, uh, wow, that is such a good question. I think I'd consider it a percussion instrument for this piece, but I think it depends on how you handle it, what you do with the instrument that 
puts it towards your personal identity as a musician. Perhaps we should go back to maybe perhaps the piano definition of keyboard instrument um, and looking at how the music is actually produced. In this case, music is produced by a mechanical bit hitting the roll and tapping. So maybe it's like a piano and it's considered percussion, right? Oh, Corbin, <laughs> <laughs> you asked me such hard hard questions, and I love it, and it's something that I feel like our listeners can really ponder on, too, especially while they hear some great music. I agree. So maybe we should let them hear some great music. What do you think? I definitely agree. Well, folks, let's have a look at this. Here it is, The Typewriter by Leroy Anderson. KUOZ 100.5 is an FCC-licensed radio station operated by the University of the Ozarks, Clarksville, Arkansas. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to From the Concert Hall here on KUOZ 100.5 FM, community radio from the University of the Ozarks here in Clarksville, Arkansas. Welcome back to From the Concert Hall. I'm your host, Corbin Sturch. And I'm your co-host, Annika Wilcox. And that was Leroy Anderson's typewriter. <laughs> you know, I, I say that and I think about this and I wonder, what if it really was his typewriter? <laughs> <laughs> and not just he the was piece a, name typewriter. He was very, <laughs> very bored one day and uh, went back to our, our previous discussion that you can turn just about anything into an instrument. <laughs> exactly. And it turned out very well for him. At least I think so. Um, <laughs> I like how it's so different from the last piece we played. Um, people tend to have this, this generalized stereotype of what they consider classical music. So it's always nice when we can uh, show our listeners 
something they wouldn't necessarily consider or think about when talking about classical music. So that's that's why that piece is so meaningful to me. I think we could look at it and say it's meaningful to a lot of people, really. I mean, maybe not that piece in particular, but everyone has that piece that they're particularly fond of for one reason or another, wouldn't you say? Right, yeah. And um, another major difference, um, the last piece had, you know, very subtle crescendos, and it was so beautiful, and it had a lot of ups and downs, and this piece was just so, so fun. Like, we were in here uh, conducting and dancing and just having a blast, so... <laughs> we, we keep saying we're dancing. Really, we don't dance. We just kind of move in the chair. Well, that's, that's, that's how I dance. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it would probably be bad if I uh, got up and started dancing everywhere, but uh, that's just, that's the most energy I have, so <laughs> I exactly. consider it dancing. <laughs> so... We look, you know, we've talked about odd instruments in the orchestra, but what we haven't talked about tonight is odd ways to play an instrument. This one's this one's kind of a favorite for me. So there are all kinds of ways to play an instrument, piano included. And no, I'm not talking about with your feet. Everyone knows you can play piano with your feet. <laughs> what I'm talking about is what's called prepared piano. And this was a concept <laughs> invented by a man named John Cage. How it works is you take a piano. It has to be a grand piano, mind you. You take a piano and you put screws and silverware and felts and pieces of wood or plates, just whatever, in the strings to alter the sound and tone of the piano. And he, he was famous for this. Carefully, of course. Carefully. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. There's actually ways to do this so that it's, I mean, actually doesn't hurt the piano. So why could YouTube ways how to put a plate in a piano? Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's good to know. <laughs> I, I wouldn't recommend it. Right, right. <laughs> the piano technician in me says no. Right. Uh, <laughs> uh, but at some point or another, a lot of pianists in college do try prepared piano. And it really is a fun concept. It's really cool to watch. There's so many ways to do it. Like, you can even play a piano like you would bow a violin. Really? Yes. Um. Yeah, I feel like that kind of goes back to a harp kind of kind of sound. For me, personally, anyways, that's, that's how I relate those two things. Right. Well, John Cage wrote a series of three dances, and in them he used prepared piano to simulate the sounds of drums, but it's on a piano. So I want our listeners, as they listen to this next piece, to imagine this. Imagine they're playing the piano, but instead of these notes coming out, it sounds like drums. <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, um, I had never heard this piece before you introduced me to it um, as we were preparing for the show today. And uh, I actually thought it was drums. <laughs> I thought it was just completely percussion, and it's just, it's so impressive when you find out that this is actually a piano. It is. It's a bit trippy, but the t the proper name is Three Dances for Two Prepared Amplified Pianos. <laughs> That's a long title, so... <laughs> it, it is. Let's just stick with two, three dances. It is. So, they don't actually have names for each individual dance that I could find. But, here it is. The Three Dances, dance number one for prepared amplified piano. Well, two prepared amplified pianos <laughs> <laughs> by John Cage. Enjoy, and we'll see you back shortly. Mm -hmm. 
KUOZ 100.5 is an FCC-licensed radio station operated by the University of the Ozarks, Clarksville, Arkansas. Thank you for tuning in. You are listening to From the Concert Hall here on KUOZ 100.5 FM, community radio from University of the Ozarks here in Clarksville, Arkansas.
Hello, and thank you for tuning in to From the Concert Hall. I'm your host, Corbin Sturch. And I'm your co-host, Annika Wilcox. We would like to thank everyone for tuning in tonight and sitting with us for this last hour and looking at some of the oddities of the orchestra and some of the weirder instruments that we have in it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, not just in the orchestra, but in life, really. Yeah, definitely. Learning that anything can be an instrument. Maybe, Maybe that's the underlying message of this whole season. And it was just revealed so early that we didn't even mean to do it. <laughs> <laughs> my my apologies. I, I was so excited about that piece. <laughs> well, before we let you all go tonight, we would like to let you know that you can always connect with From the Concert Hall on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash from the concert hall. And all you can always find all of our old episodes on SoundCloud and on iTunes as podcasts. So feel free to look for us anytime on iTunes or on SoundCloud or on Facebook. And if you find us on Facebook, if you look on our Facebook, you can also find our Twitter, our Instagram, and our email to get in touch with us. We would love to hear back from any of our listeners. And we can't wait to see you all back here. Well, see you all back here. We can't wait to interact with you all through this next week and talk with you again next week. It's a better line, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we're seeing them in a way. We uh, In a way. In a way, yeah. Metaphysically. <laughs> So to end tonight, we've got a piece that's a bit odd. <laughs> it's a grand, grand festival overture. Literally, that's its name. Why did we choose it? Because it uses four vacuums and two guns. <laughs> you thought the orchestra was odd? Well, watch the orchestra hunt itself. Enjoy a grand, grand festival overture and have a wonderful night. <laughs>